Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. We all know how the Israelites brought down the walls of Jericho. They walked around the walls once each day for six days, then seven times the seventh day, followed by a huge shout. But why did simply walking around the walls bring them tumbling down? In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright explores the life of Israelite leader Joshua to discover what about this man's faith enabled him to lead the Israelites in such an astounding feat. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I'll invite you to turn in your scripture to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to begin our message by reading there this morning. Joshua chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 13 into chapter 6 through verse 5. Hear now God's word. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, in these moments, may our hearts and our minds be quiet and open before you. We pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, that it is your voice that is heard and your truth received today. Give me grace to speak words of your truth, to speak them in simplicity, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience now, Lord, we offer only to you the praise and the glory. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We continue in this journey through some quite familiar passages. Uh, P. 
people and stories you would have learned attending Bible school, school or Sunday school as children. I couldn't do this without including the story of the walls that come tumbling down and that, that, that old song has been going through my head all week and the walls come a tumbling down. <clears throat> now you'll be singing that the rest of the day. That, that, that image, that, that event, is certainly one that you would tell your children about, wouldn't it, had you seen it? Can you imagine being the children of Joshua, thinking, oh my gosh, do we have to hear the story of the walls again? Or the grandchildren of Joshua saying, Grandpa, tell us again the story when the walls came tumbling down. And you know he would have loved to tell the story. And I'm convinced that when Joshua told the story about the walls that came tumbling down, that he would have also told why they came tumbling down. It's more than just the amazing event of a, a, a city wall that suddenly is destroyed. It's about the why the wall came down and about the who who made it come down. You see, all of those things get put together. I would guess that uh, perhaps maybe rivaled with the crossing of the Jordan River, uh, that the walls of Jericho would have been the uh, premier event in the life and ministry of Joshua. But we could ask ourselves, what, what was it that unleashed this event? What was it that was the key to this event happening? And when it comes to the person of Joshua, I think it really is when you look at the bookends of what we know about Joshua from Scripture, that this event becomes clear as to why it was able to happen. The fact that Joshua being the man, the godly leader he was, was, was crucial to God unleashing God's power to do what he did when the walls of Jericho came down. Um, first of all, let, let's take a glimpse of what we know about Joshua. Maybe some less familiar passages. We sometimes don't think about Joshua until we get to the book of Joshua in the Scripture, but there's more to Joshua when you look back. Actually, you can go all the way back into Exodus 17. That's the first place in Scripture where we find Joshua. Uh, Joshua is mentioned there uh, when, when the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're, they're not very far removed from the Red Sea, the first water cleansing incident, that they have a conflict, and it's the Amalekites, the, one of the many ites who... Uh, come against Israel, they find the Amalekites, they go to battle against them. Moses calls upon Joshua during this time and simply calls Joshua up to lead, to assemble a group of fighting men and to go into battle. Maybe by this time Moses already discerns that there's some leadership capability in Joshua who was a young man at this time. And so Joshua assembles the fighting, uh, fighting crew and they go and they battle the Amalekites and, and God gives Joshua a great victory. We move a little bit further along and we find that 
that Joshua has become, uh, a, it's like Moses has become a mentor to him. Let me point out just a couple of other scriptures, if I might, and you can just jot these down or turn quickly to them. Exodus chapter 24. We're familiar with uh, the, those times that Moses got called to go up to the mountain and to uh, have conversation with God. We probably have in our minds that he always made those trips alone, and that's not always true. Because sometimes, guess who went with him? Joshua did. All of the other people, even the elders of the Hebrew people, were, were called to stay behind. But Moses would take Joshua up. Exodus 24, 13 says, So Moses arose with Joshua his servant, and Moses went up the mountain to the mountain of God. So imagine Joshua just tailing along when, when Moses goes up and Moses is having these conversations with God. Joshua's there. Joshua is observing. He's learning. He, he's, he's, he's finding out what makes Moses the kind of leader that he is being for the people. You go a little bit further along to Exodus 33, and we find when we're reading in that chapter that uh, when Israel is wandering, they're, they're going through the wilderness journey, that they come to those times when they're camping. They're not moving, they're staying still for a period of time. And so they would, they would build a camp. But Moses would build a tent, he would set up a tent outside the camp, some distance away. And that is where God kind of uh, resided with him. Okay, so Moses would go out to the tent, he called it the tent of meeting. The cloud that represented God's presence would be at the tent. And Moses would go out and he would have conversation with God. And in Exodus 33, verse 11, it says that when, when Moses would leave the tent and go into the camp to be where the rest of the people were, that Joshua would not leave the tent. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if that meant he stayed just outside the tent. I don't know if it meant that he stayed inside the tent. But it gives me the distinct impression that what Joshua was doing was intentionally... Uh, what the, the word we would use scripturally would be to abide. It's as if he wants to constantly be around where God is. He is staying connected to God. Even when Moses goes back into the camp to be with the people, Joshua wants to be around that tent of meeting. That's just the kind of person that it looks like he is being. We read a little bit further in, 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 on into the book of Numbers, and that's where we get to that familiar uh, narrative where the spies are first sent into the land to scope it out, the promised land, and all of the spies come back. We remember one is named Caleb, right? Okay, so Caleb comes back with the rest of the spies, and all the rest of the spies are saying, oh, the land is it's so great. I mean, it's fruitful, it's abundant, it's, it's wonderful, but the people who live there are so large and strong and, and we will never be able to, uh, to have victory over them. And Caleb is the only one other than whom? Joshua. Who says, no, we, we can take it. We can do this. And because the other ten spies had such uh, uh, an influence upon the masses of people, no one wanted to go into the land. And so they spend 40 years wandering around. Joshua shows himself as someone who is confident in what God will do for his people. You get into the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, there, there's a point 
Well, actually, I should say even before you get there, out of, before you're out of the book of Numbers, there's a time when Moses kind of has a little issue. He does something that God didn't tell him to do, and so that's when God says to Moses that he's not going to enter the promised land. And guess who gets commissioned to be Moses' successor? Joshua does, okay? So Moses lays his hands on him. Then in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34, we kind of get up to that point where it's getting close to time. It says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so all this time, what you have is a young man who has found just the right person to be his mentor. He has hung around Moses. He has followed Moses. He has learned from Moses. He has watched to see what makes Moses the kind of person that he is. He has seen that it is difficult to be a godly leader because you know how much trouble Moses had with these masses of people who constantly wanted to go back to Egypt, who constantly didn't want to be obedient to God. I mean, Moses had his hands full. Joshua knew that it wasn't an easy task to be a godly leader, but he was determined to live into it. And I share this word to all of those who would be categorized as younger people, okay? Now, I'm not putting age, age parameters on this. I say, okay, so if you think you fall along that spectrum of being somewhat younger, here's my word to you today. Find at least one, if not a few, Moseses in your life. Find those men and women who truly are godly representatives to you. They're going to stand out because they're going to be people who truly live God's way all the time. Not just, not just in one little facet of their life, but everything they do, they are determined to do things the way God would have them done. They had the kind of spirit that God would have them have. They had the kind of character a godly character, they have a godly way of life. They are the people who are, even when it's not popular, even when logic might determine something different, they are the people who are determined to live God's way. They will stand out, get around people like that, hang out with them, make friends with them, learn from them, watch them, listen to the way they talk, listen to the stories of their lives. Let them be a model to you because you will learn more from them than you will learn watching most other people reading books I mean you will learn more from them about what it means to be a godly person than nearly anything else find those people who can mentor you into godly character to being the godly kind of person that you need to be Okay. This is the front end, the bookend, if you will, of Joshua as a person. Okay. We ask ourselves, well, how could such a godly leader just kind of come on the scene? He didn't just come on the scene. He had been nurtured for years to be the kind of person God could use when he really needed it. And when the people crossed into the promised land and Moses stayed behind and, and went on to glory, 
Joshua was ready to step up. And he did. So we get into the book of Joshua. We get, you know, we, there's the crossing of the Jordan River. The people are entering the land of promise. And the first conquest is this city called Jericho. Now at the time, Jericho wasn't a terribly large city. Uh, it's not a terribly large city now. But it was sizable enough and, and formidable because, like many of the cities during that time, it was fortified with a wall. And the text we read said that the city was shut tight. That's what a city wall was designed to do. When the city was in danger of those who would come against it, you could close it up. And, and people would have to have some strategy as to how they're going to get in to attack your city. A city that was really well prepared would have had a, a system for getting water. They would have been completely self-contained. Self Jericho was shut up tight. So if you're, a, if you're a leader, a military leader, and you know that you are going to go up against a fortified city, you probably start thinking strategically, okay? Do we throw ropes over the wall, ladders, you know, what do we do to start to, to, to accomplish what we are persuaded God would have us to do? This is where the story becomes really interesting. If you go back and read from Joshua chapter 1, and I would encourage you maybe later, just kind of refresh these words in your mind. Read Joshua 1 up through verse 9. There's a phrase that gets repeated, and you've heard it time and again, where God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. In fact, in verse 3, God reminds Joshua. God is speaking directly to Joshua. And he says to Joshua, every place your foot touches in this land... I give to you. Why? Because I've already promised it to Moses. Like I told Moses, I'm telling you. My promise is I'm giving you the land. That is key because it is a, God, it is a promise that Joshua had upon which he could stand. When God promises something, do you think he comes through on it? Sure he does. Now, when you and I promise something, hopefully we come through on it. At least that's their, our intention, right? Uh, sometimes there might be unforeseen circumstances that, have to, that cause us to have to amend that maybe. But when God promises something, it is sure. And Joshua understands that. Before Joshua does a thing, God reminds him of that. I've promised it. I've promised it. I've promised it. You can be sure of it. So now Joshua gets to this point of having to lead people against a walled city. What is he going to do? That's where we get to the text we read earlier, beginning in chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, Joshua, one day, is, is visited by a man, appears to him. It's an angel of the Lord who brings him a message. Okay? And the message is, here's, here's the strategy. Here's the strategy that you are going to take against the walled city. You're going to take all the men, all the people, and you're going to march around the city for six days. 
And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times, and then everyone is going to yell, and the priests are going to blow trumpets. I want you to think for a moment what your reaction would be to that strategy. You need later today to go on YouTube and find the Veggie Tail version of this. Some of you may remember a few years ago I even shared this with you in worship. So most of you have seen it, even if you, even if you don't remember. The reaction on Joshua's face when he receives this instruction is perfect. It's that blank expressionless stare that sometimes you get parents get from their teenagers you know it's like and you know what's going on in their mind is you want me to do what that's right you see reason would be uh, no we're going to build a, a, we're going to build a ramp so we can get to the top of the wall we're going to build something to break through a weak spot in the wall so we're going to get troops over the wall through the wall something but you're telling us that we're just going to get all the people walk around the city and shout and if you find the veggie tail clip don't turn it off until you get also the reaction when Joshua tells the people this plan. I can assure you that someone who had, you know, who maybe hadn't voiced it up until this time, someone on the Back to Egypt committee spoke up and said, look, this is crazy. But it wasn't crazy because it was God's plan and this is why it is so important that God had a leader who had already determined in his mind and in his heart to do things God's way again I want you to appreciate what Joshua had already been through. He had been through years and years of watching Moses lead an obstinate people. He had been through years of watching what happens when you choose to do things other than God's way. He had observed the failures. He had observed God's correction when people tried to do things other than God's way. He knew it didn't work as reasonable or as tempting as it might have been, he knew it didn't work if you don't do things God's way. And that is why Joshua had, when, when, when God said to be strong and courageous, I think what's at the root of that is to be strong enough in character and courageous enough in your actions to stand before a people who will probably say this doesn't make any sense and say no, this is the way we're doing it because this is the way God said to do it. That is a particular kind of strength and courage. And that is what Joshua had. And the people went out for six days and they marched around the city. And I want you to picture what was right in the middle of it. 
there were military people in the front and there were military people in the back. We call them military people, you know, the soldiers, you might say. But who and what was at the center of them? The priests carrying not only the trumpets, but carrying the ark of the presence of God. I want to be cautious not to tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to get more meaning out of the text than the writer intended to be there. But I will tell you that that seems to be a beautiful image of something spiritual, something godly, something prayerful, something in which when the people went out, with God's presence clearly in their midst, and they were obedient to God to walk around a city saying nothing except just marching for six days, and then on the seventh day to march seven times and shout when the priest blew the horns. What they were doing was physically demonstrating their faith that God would come through on his promise. And that is so important to this narrative. Yes, the walls of the city came tumbling down. But friends, we have to understand why they came tumbling down. The why is because there was one godly leader who said, even as crazy as it sounds, we're doing this God's way. And when you do things God's way, God will come through. And I think it teaches us something about the way we live our lives. You see, as people who have committed to following Jesus Christ, we, by our confession, have surrendered ourselves to live God's way, to follow in the path of the Master. We have said, in essence, God... I'm going to live my life the way you have determined for me to live my life. Even when it's tempting to do otherwise, even when it may not make perfect sense, I'm going to do it your way because I know that your promises stand strong when I do it your way. There's a matter of prayer that goes along with that. The, the pastor by the name of Mark Batterson has made quite a name uh, by his idea of prayer circling. He, he wrote a book uh, some years ago, I think it was called The Circle Maker or something, something like that. And he begins by telling the story of how God began to uh, really grow and to bless the, the church that he was pastoring in Washington, D.C. called National Community Church. And interestingly enough, he was, he was uh, prompted in prayer by Joshua 1.3, by that promise, every place that you put your foot, I'm going to give you. And by discernment in prayer, he was compelled to believe that that promise was going to stand for him as he was led by God to walk a perimeter around Capitol Hill. And he can tell you today where God has continued to fulfill and make good on the promise 
everywhere he had walked in prayer around that city time and time and time and time again how God has fulfilled his promises in prayer it's no different for you and for me one of the first parts of prayer is discernment God what is it that you're calling me to where is it that you're calling me to be in ministry and to represent you in the world what is it about my life that you want to bless if I'll be faithful to do it your way? We should be praying about those things. We should, figuratively and perhaps even literally, be circling things in our lives with prayers of calling upon God to make good on His promises. Some of those things we don't even need discernment about. We already know because the Word tells us that God wants to make good on the promises. If God want, I don't have to pray about what kind of fruit God wants to see in my life. The Scripture tells me that. I should be praying a circle around making that fruit happen. God, I don't have to pray to, be, uh, to know what kind of marriage God's, God wants me to have. I already know that. The Word tells me what kind of marriage God wants me to have. I should be praying a circle around that, making, asking God to make good on the promises to make that marriage happen. There are so many things that you and I can be automatically praying circles around to ask God to, God bless like, you, like you've already told me you want to make blessing. But there may be other things also that, that we'll only learn by discernment. To go before the throne of God and say, Lord God, what, what is it that you want out of my life? What is it ministry-wise? What is it work-wise? What, what is it, God, where is it that you want to bring more fruit, more blessing through my life that I not need to start putting my feet down and praying a circle around this so that I can unleash your power to break down the walls that stand between me and that? Why wouldn't we ask that? You see, what Joshua did was simply to give us an example of someone who lived his entire life based on at least this one thing. I know God wants to use me, and I know God wants to bless me, and I know that he will do it if I do things his way. There's another bookend to Joshua's life. We saw where he was as a young man. If you go over to Joshua chapter 24, you'll see where he is as an older man. And don't lose the fact that there are decades of experience that happen in those chapters of Scripture. When you get to Joshua 24, we get to one of the last things that we hear out of him, out of Scripture. And we get to one of those verses that have become so familiar to us. We have bumper stickers, we have yard signs, we have, I have a, a pen and pencil set on my desk that had Joshua 24:15 written on it. And you're familiar with it, right? As for me and my house, we will what? We'll serve the Lord, all right? But remember the context in which Joshua brings that, those words. From the beginning of the chapter, Joshua begins to speak to the people prophetically. Not as if he is uh, un- viewing the future, but prophetically in the sense that he is speaking to the people on behalf of God. 
And what he does is that he goes back into the history of the Hebrew people to account through the generations the mighty acts of God. And he tells them about Abraham, and he tells them about the Hebrew people in Egypt, and he tells them about Jacob and Isaac, and he tells them all of these ways that God has shown himself powerfully faithful to the people. And after reminding them of all of these things, then Joshua said, Now, choose today whom you will serve. I love the confidence of this older Joshua who stands before a crowd of people and says, Choose today whom you will serve whether it's going to be the little g gods that your ancestors served, or if it's going to be the big g God who has done all of these things for your ancestors. Which one will you serve? As for me and my house, let me paraphrase that. As for me and those who are under the circle of my authority and my influence, the choice is made. We are going to serve the Lord. You could also say, we're going to do things His way and none other. Well, of course, the people respond so positively. Oh, heavens, yes. We, how could we think of serving anyone except the Lord? And I think it's at least a little humorous that Joshua is not easily persuaded. <laughs> Joshua is not ready to bite on it. He knows. He knows what's in the heart of people. He knows that they're going to say one thing today and then turn around tomorrow and do another thing. It is not an easy thing to hold fast to the choice to serve the Lord and to serve Him only. It is not easy to hold fast to doing things only God's way. But that is exactly the kind of person that Joshua shows himself to be. From start to finish, Joshua was the man who said, we're doing things God's way. And it's that one scene that will remind us of that. It's one scene, one day, out of a life that was many years old. One day when the walls came tumbling down. Why? Because there was one man who stepped up and said, we're doing it God's way. Friends, there was another man who made that same determination in his life. And I think it is best displayed, perhaps, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death. The Scripture gives us a little glimpse into the life of Jesus. When he and he alone knew that he was going to a cross, his, his best friends didn't understand, but he knew it. And he prayed because of the struggle. He prayed because he knew how difficult it was going to be. But you see, he had already determined in his heart, I'm going to do it God's way. And yes, it led him to a cross. 
and it led him to sacrificing his life. But think for a moment what else, what he would have missed had he not been willing to do that. You see, the greatest victory came because he was willing to do it God's way. Sunday morning, Easter morning, the resurrection, the empty tomb, none of these things would have happened had Jesus not been willing to do it God's way. And it'll be the same for you and me. Sometimes it's going to lead through a valley. Sometimes it's going to lead through a difficult time. Sometimes doing it God's way is going to lead through trials, temptations, difficulties, uh, lack, of, lack of popularity, the scorn, the, the frowns, the odd looks from other people who will say, there's got to be a better way. The greatest victory comes when we do it God's way and none other. And I pray that Joshua will be, will be one of those people who will remind us, choose this day whom you will serve and never waver from it. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful that you've given us people like Joshua who had such an incredible determination to live their life your way, to follow your commands even when, even when, God, it went beyond what our minds can comprehend. But you have shown us time and again that the greatest things you have done have happened because people have been determined to be faithful to you. And I know, Father, that you want to do, you want to do bold things through us. And you've called us to pray boldly because you answer bold prayers. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us in that. Help us to follow you fully, Help us to follow you alone. Help us in the midst of life's struggles to not, abandon, to not abandon your way of doing things. And help us, God, to, to have discernment, to know how wonderfully you want to use us in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to that. And we know, God, that there are walls in our lives, Lord, that you'd like to bring tumbling down. And so for those who, would, uh, who are seeking that today, God, I pray that you would just increase their faith. Help us always to look to you and to stand on your promises that are always sure in the name of Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.